Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, This Is That, part three in a series entitled Signs of the Times, a victorious and hopeful approach to the last days. For any further information about this series or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. Sunday, and I'm so excited about that. I could barely sleep all week. <laughs> Part of that's this uh, respiratory infection that I've been fighting off, and the medicine's keeping me up, but uh, I must have preached this in my sleep 50 times already. I wake up just the Spirit of the Lord hovering over me, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for Sunday. Hallelujah. Who's excited about the Holy Spirit meeting with you today? Oh. It's already been so rich and full. I love the worship times together. Worship team, uh, thank you guys. They're probably debriefing in the back, but thank you guys for leading us so well. I know Matthew has just started his tenure here, but he's already taken the charge and doing a great job. So we're excited about all that God's doing through the worship team. So yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff coming up. Uh, Patricia Bootsma, that ought to be a great weekend. And uh, we've got stuff and uh, a little bit of stuff in August, surprises in August, September, and October. And I'm just going to... Well, I can let the cat out of the bag, but in October, Duncan and Kate Smith will be with us. Yeah. So if you don't know who they are, look them up. They're the, uh, the leaders of our denomination, the presidents of our denomination, and they are just a delight to be around, very close, dear friends of ours, and uh, they just love to celebrate and party in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We want to do some of that today. Uh, all right. Well, I think I'm just going to, why don't we just ask the Lord to come? So, Father, we thank you. Oh, you are such a good, good Father. You have, for the longest time, promised the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, you have made good on your promise. You have absolutely delivered in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we embrace you. We thank you that you anoint us with the anointing of Jesus, that you fill our hearts and our minds and our mouths with the words of Jesus, and that you actually... Light us on fire with your presence and you bring the kingdom everywhere you go. So we just say, kingdom come today. We invite the kingdom of God. Lord, let your rule and your reign, let that future age, Lord, that is certain to come in the return of Jesus Christ manifest itself in our midst right here today through the agency of the Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We just invite you to do whatever you wanna do. Fall on us fresh today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of today's sermon is This Is That, and it's actually part three of the Signs of the Times series that I've been going through. And so it it is a uh, hopeful and victorious approach to the last days. And so uh, I've been very careful for the last few weeks to try to Uh, explain eschatology, that's the study of the end times, in such a way to uh, carefully extract some of the misconceptions and some of the uh, doctrines that 
tend to get us off track. Um, And the reason for that is not just because Pastor John loves theology, but because I think that there's a difference in what I rolled out last week. It was called inaugurated, inaugurated, enacted, inaugurated eschatology versus kind of the flavor du jour of the day is, has been for probably 50 years, uh, dispensationalism. And the difference really when it comes down to our lives is the difference between the motivation behind it, behind a, a fear-based approach to the last days versus a love and power uh, approach to the last days and really finding ourselves in the last days. And so I've been saying things like, uh, it's been the last days since Jesus showed up. And so we're already in the last days. And we're in the last of the last days until the last day. (laughs) And the last day is when the return of the king, which is what I talked about last week, when Christ in his physical uh, self comes and manifests himself and returns as the king of all creation. And then there's the judgment. And we talked about that last week where he sets everything right. And so an enacted, inaugurated eschatology is not just an inaugurated eschatology, which I've had for uh, probably a decade, had this understanding that the, the, the last times, the, the age to come, so the, the Bible tells it, the Jewish expectation is this, that we live in this age and that there's the age to come, the age of God's kingdom, God's new world of righteousness, of everything being set right, everything that's broken, everything that's damaged, everything that's wrong with our world, being set right. And right in the middle of that is the messianic king shows up and actually brings judgment and says, this is right, this is wrong, and everything that offends is out, and everything that is right is in, into God's new world. And so an inaugurated is that in the coming of Jesus, that that world of the future has actually broke into the present in him. And so that we're already experiencing the powers of the world to come. But I want to talk specifically about the nuts and bolts of that today, about how it works, because it's through the agency of the Holy Spirit. It's through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father placed on Jesus as he walked as a man filled with the Holy Spirit so that we could be trained to continue his mission, so that we actually walk as already not yet people, we're able to access the kingdom of God to pull forth that future age of God into our present age, which is actually the definition of eternal life. And I've spent quite a bit of time talking about that. But I want to look at, because today is Pentecost Sunday, I want to look at Acts chapter 2. It's, you know, it just wouldn't be Pentecost without looking at Acts chapter 2. And so, uh, this is that is the, is the title of this sermon. And it starts off with verse one by saying, the day of Pentecost had fully come. And I think I might've talked about this a little bit last year, but uh, fully come is Greek word, I think I'm gonna butcher it, but simpleru. And it means to fill completely a ship, like the, whole, the cargo hold of a ship to be absolutely packed, jam-packed and to arrive to be fulfilled, and it's talking about uh, of time. So there was a fulfillment that happened, that the day of Pentecost had fully come. 
there in Jerusalem at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So the, the definition is this, that the outpouring is the identifier, that the presence of the Holy Spirit on man is the signpost of God's new age, his coming kingdom, the heaven coming to earth is actually identified by the coming of the Holy Spirit and being poured out on mankind. So I want to unpack that a little bit. So very familiar to all of us is uh, different places in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is talked about as a guarantee. Like Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, I want you to kind of put your finger on the word, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, believed in him is important. You were sealed, sealed is a very important word, with the promised Holy Spirit. I wonder if he, in my notes, a lot of these things are bolded and highlighted. Promised is a great word there, the promised Holy Spirit. If you look through the scriptures of the Old Testament, there was always this promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all, on all flesh who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in the meantime, as we live this already not yet kingdom, we access it through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's working, his anointing, his power on us is actually proof that that kingdom is tangible and on its way. And so the word seal there is sphrasio. It's a mark of authentication. So you've actually been marked by the Holy Spirit so that when you experience the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's alive in your life, you realize that there's a, there's a, a marker beam on you. And, and if you're tracking with the series of signs of the times, that makes you and me a sign of the age to come. Okay, and then inheritance. Kleronomai. It means property received by inheritance, what is given to one as a possession. It's actually property. So the seal on you is proof of that kingdom, the actual laying hold of our promised land, that new age that is to come. The eternal blessedness of the consummated kingdom of God, which is to be expected after the visible return of Christ. That's straight out of Strong's. There it is. But I want to talk about Pentecost. So Pentecost uh, in Greek means 50, and it's the 50th day after Passover. And so in the book of Acts chapter 2, when all the people from uh, different countries that uh, followed Judaism, they came for what they called uh, the Feast of Weeks or Sukkot. Uh, that was a celebration that they were given in Leviticus, and I'll get to that in a minute. But they were all in Jerusalem to celebrate the, the feast because they were dispersed. They were Jews that had been dispersed all over the world. And it had been a commandment from the Lord that from wherever they were, that three times a year for the feast, that all the men would come together together. Uh, at the temple and, and practice this feast, okay? Well, Jews uh, have long believed that Sukkot was actually the commemoration or the remembrance of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, 
there's something very significant, and I will tie this together in a few minutes, but what happened at, at Mount Sinai? And so you think that the children of Israel in that moment, think of the things that happened at Mount Sinai. So it was 50 days after uh, Passover, after they had made the exodus uh, from Egypt, and they come to the, the mountain, to Mount Sinai. And God comes down and he says, I'm going to make a deal with you. You will be my own special people, my treasure above all people. He calls them a holy nation. And he formed the nation of Israel in that moment with his voice. Think about the things that happened in this story in 19, uh, Exodus 19 and 20. You get his thundering voice. You get the fire of God on the mountain. You get the law of God, so precepts and covenant and the way to be the people of God and then the promises of the land that they are to inherit. And it's through his presence resting and residing upon them and walking with them that we see the pillar of fire that leads them at night and the pillar of cloud by day, that the very presence of God would be in the... uh, He went from um, the garden, okay, So when man transgressed in the garden, sorry for the rabbit trail. When man transgressed in the garden, he was expelled from the garden. What did God do to separate man from his throne? He he put an angel with a flaming sword to guard all the way around so that man couldn't just go bursting into his presence, into his throne anymore, right? God changes address from Eden to Mount Sinai and the same thing's going on. There's the fire of God around the mountain. And the people were even afraid to approach. Moses would go up into the mountain, but his voice was so thundering and so loud. And that was part of the deal with the covenant was to obey his voice. You'll be my special people, a a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, he called them. His presence was in the fire. So he changed his address from the garden to the mountain and then to the tabernacle. He said, I want you, Moses, to follow and build a tabernacle exactly as I tell you, because he's copying, as we learn in Hebrews, the things that he sees in the heavens. And in the holy of holies, so you have the outer court, and then the inner court, and then the tent of meeting, and then it had its inner room, and its first room, and then its room with the veil and the holy of holies. But while they were camped, the fire of God would rest on top of the holy of holies. And we see this, that the fire of God actually guards his presence, it guards his throne. But he dwells with man and he's, he did it with, with Israel. So what I'm saying is that dialing it back, I just had to give a little bit of that history that <laughs> Pentecost, that Jews believed that uh, when they actually arrived, because the Lord says in Leviticus, uh, what is it, 23? Yeah, Leviticus, Leviticus 23, uh, 9 through 14, he talks about uh, the feasts, the three feasts, and he talks specifically about the Feast of Weeks. And they're counting from, uh, from Passover the 49 days. Um, so it's weeks of weeks. So Savuot or Savua means week, and Savuot means weeks. So it's seven weeks, a week of weeks, if that makes sense. But basically what was going on there was it was the early grain harvest. So 
when they, the promise was when you come into the land that I've given you, which is blessed and fertile, and I will cause blessing to come upon your crops and you will actually have wheat pop up first. So wheat was like a springtime harvest. You didn't have to wait till the fall. Anybody seeing the similarity going on here? The wheat pops up first, but before you're to eat any of it or do anything with it, just as soon as you can put the sickle in, you would take a sheaf. So you take first fruits. So this is the, the celebration of first fruits that is very much connected to this Feast of Weeks and to Pentecost because Pentecost is the celebration of harvest, right? So they would take their sheaf of wheat and they would take it to the priest and they would offer it to the priest. And the priest would then take it and wave it before the Lord and heave it up to the Lord. And he would bless their land and bless their crops so that their life would be blessed. And then they did what was called the counting of the Omer. So for all those seven weeks, every day, they would be counting down X day of the Omer or sheaf. Same, uh, I think there's a similarity in those words there. But that they were counting their blessings because they're in this anticipation, building up to this perfect rest of God. The seven sevens is you know, always symbolic of his rest, of him entering into and saying the work is done, right? So here they are following this uh, feast of weeks until the day of Shavuot, when it's the harvest, when they get to actually party and they can then take the wheat for themselves. Am I making sense? Jesus is referred to as the first fruits. He fulfilled in Matthew 5, 17, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So all of the law and the feast, Jesus has fulfilled or will fulfill fully. But Acts chapter two says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Are y'all tracking with me? Yeah, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits. And then first fruits of a new humanity, of that new age to come, of this new creation, a whole new type of way of being human. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2 and James, right at the beginning of James, both of those writers call us a type of first fruits, that we actually have followed Christ in this already not yet kingdom, celebrating this. So let's celebrate today. So why don't we read Acts chapter two? Not all of it, but a lot of it. You have your Bibles, turn to Acts 2. Starting in verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who speak, uh, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Put your thumb on that. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking, saying, they are filled with new wine. And here comes Peter. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Here we go. But this is that. (laughs) This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel too. And in the last days it shall be. It's the last days. It was the last days then. God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall, what? Prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall, what? Prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Wait a minute, he said this is that. We're waiting for blood and fire and vapor of smoke. He said this is that. Uh, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. This outpouring that we walk in, this amazing experience where the Holy Spirit rests on us and moves our mouths to declare the mighty works of God through prophecy and through declaration of the gospel is actually proof that it's the last days and that the kingdom that is to come has rested upon us even now. Hallelujah. (laughs) Tongues were to hear the prophesying, the mighty works of God. You know, it's, it's, um, this is a kingdom thing that prophecy is a sign of spirit-led administration. There's a story in the Old Testament of Moses and the elders, Numbers chapter 11. Do y'all remember this story? Happened a couple times where Moses was overloaded because he had so many hundreds of thousands of people to look after and the Lord gave him some help through administration by appointing uh, 70 elders to help him. In Numbers 11, it tells a story like this again where the children of Israel were getting a little bit upset about eating manna and they wanted something else, but uh, it was overwhelming to Moses. And so the Lord told Moses, well, bring him over here, get 70 of the elders and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. Uh, 11.24, you can turn there if you want to, Numbers 11, verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the, the words of the Lord and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and he placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit, big S, that was on him and he put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. 
but they didn't continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. Isn't that interesting? They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. And here we see the heart of the Lord in verse 29. But Moses said to him, are you jealous? God, I love it. I wouldn't change it. Uh, But there's always been this awkwardness and maybe not so much anymore, but awkwardness around the subject matter of speaking in tongues. And the cessationists would say uh, that the gift of tongues was actually to declare the mighty works of God. And I would have to agree with them, but maybe not completely. So I'm gonna play devil's advocate with them just for a minute, uh, but I wanna just talk about the gift of tongues, ordinary. And so this is what cessationists would often talk about. And, and they're right on that, on that level, on that uh, point. But I wanna bring back into focus this idea of what is prophesying, what is speaking uh, the mighty works of God. And as you can see, this story um, in Numbers there with Moses was that it's a prophesying is actually with the spirit on you is actually an act of administration that there's this work of administration. See in the garden, let me back, presence of God being where they were in the garden before. And so you see times where God intervenes when he brings his spirit and actually places on us because we're always designed to be connected to him like that. Am I making sense? And so his administration was set up there in the children of Israel too as well to make them a special people to represent him in all the earth because all the earth was his is what he said. All the peoples of the earth are mine. Matter of fact, the promises that were given to the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was that I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Plan of salvation rolling out to straighten all of this mess out. His righteousness will reign. So, Prophecy, though, is this ability. When, you, when we don't understand this thing about the kingdom of God, this already not yet kingdom, this enacted, this is where we enact the inaugurated eschatology, that world has already been inaugurated in Christ Jesus, brought forward into our world, and then we enact it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He enacted it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and so will we. But prophecy is this, being able to access the administration, why we're called the ecclesia, the church, to access the administration of the Spirit of God and actually declare the mighty works of God so that when we see that future world, we can see through the heaven's eyes, we can see through God's eyes, we are actually declaring over others and out into our world what God sees. And it has the power in it if people will partner with it for it actually to be enacted in their life. Am I making sense? So this is why it's important for us to understand that it's not that if we talk in tongues, that that's the evidence. Although you can have personal evidence, you can experience the Holy Spirit at home or in your prayer time, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, that it's for your edification that you pray in tongues. I want you, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Just, that's not the sign though. He specifically says that's not a sign. He said it's a sign of unbelievers, tongues are. 
You say, well, y'all ever read that? Let's just read it. Because it, you ever read that and you go, eh, I don't know, that turns my brain inside out. Oh, I forgot. Pentecost is actually uh, the reversal of the division at Babel. Okay? Because, I, I'm sorry, here's another place where mankind transgressed. They built a tower together. They all had one language. This mankind was just mankind. It wasn't nations. It was just one. This is prior to the children of Israel. And in their doing that, they tried to return to that place of administration. They wanted the power of God without God's presence. And God said, wow, check that out. They might actually figure this thing out. But it was the unity that they figured out. We'll get to that in a minute, but it was the unity that they figured out, not the doing it uh, under his authority and under his submission. So he scattered them at that point changed all their languages and said, we're not going to have that. But in Pentecost, when I started speaking in tongues, it was the reversal of that. It was able to speak the languages. We were all joined into one, one body, into the body of Messiah. All right. 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 4. Paul says, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. It's important, and he put that sentence in there. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And I think he says something about, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding in in the church than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, y'all hear me. I sing up here in tongues during worship, and I talk in tongues all the time. So this is not... Trying to say tongues is good or bad is not what we're talking about here. I'm trying to emphasize that the seal and the proof of the Holy Spirit is actually declaring the mighty works of God, which is prophesying, which is bringing that from the future right here to our present, releasing it. So verse 12 says this, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, because the Corinthian church was, they were just so excited where this new humanity, this new creation, the Holy Spirit is resting on us. And he's doing all this cool stuff. He says, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. This is verse 22, jumping down, sorry. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Okay, so... Tongues is not actually a sign, a semion, if I said that word right. A a sign or semion, this particular word that he uses here is a distinguishing marker or proof of a type of person or thing. So just hear what I'm saying here. Tongues is great, love that. But it's not actually, the tongues itself is not actually the thing that marks you out. What he's saying is when you run into a German and they're speaking German, you know that's a German, right? If you run into uh, a Russian and they're speaking Russian, you know that's a Russian. You run into a Christian and you hear him prophesying, you know that's someone from another planet. You're not going to run into a Christian and hear him saying, shara, shara, mamira, whatever, and, the, and know that that's someone from another world. I mean, you might think you'll get the wrong idea about what world they're from anyways. Tongues is not a sign for believers, but prophecy actually is the thing that marks you out. 
if we spent as much time developing our prophetic gift as we do developing tongues or or focusing on tongues, I'm telling you, the church would be built up so much more. You know, I think he goes on to say, therefore, if, uh, verse 23, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, this is the important part. Just forget about the tongues part now. We beat that up. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Hallelujah. That's the kind of, that's the kind of believers that we want to be. And this is something that we can grow in and that we can develop in because we have access to the person of the Holy Spirit. Can't do it without him falling on us. It's just, it's not gonna work. Can't like make it up or try to kickstart it or whatever. You just invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, I'm, I'm uh, rounding the corner and bringing the horse to the barn here. I wanna talk about corporate anointing. So the thing in Babel, they had, it, they had that part right, that they got together. But it wasn't that they were seeking God for God himself. They were actually disobeying him when he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, to subdue it. Psalm 133, if you have your Bible. Verse one says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Matthew got to experience that (laughs) last week. We poured oil all over his head as we set him in as a worship pastor here. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has, what? He's commanded the blessing. He's commanded the blessing, the anointing to be on our unity. And how do they describe that? Life forevermore. So I just want to talk about the anointing for a minute. So the anointing is actually a mark. The, the, the anointing is where they would take and put oil or fat on you or whatever, Crisco, however you want to look at it. But it's to smear it on. It's a sign. It's a mark. The anointing is a mark that you're different. It's a mark that consecrates. That word consecrate is the action of making or declaring someone or something to sacred office. And it works like this in the kingdom of God. This is that. Noah, do you have that diagram? There it is. So the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the promise of the Father poured out on Jesus in the Holy Spirit, the anointing 
of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' authority then shared with us through the agency of the Holy Spirit and the words and the works of Jesus marks us. So can you see the difference between an outlook on the last days that even if it's helpful for evangelism, when it's focused on fear or on the apostasy of the church, rather than on an understanding that Christ has already started the last days and that the actual marker of that is the Holy Spirit resting on the church in power to bring forth the stuff from that so that we can actually steward it and as a body through the connection with the Holy Spirit, administer the rule and the reign of God through demonstrations of his love and of his power. That means healings, prophecy, raising people from the dead. It's the great commission, making disciples. This is a disciple-making thing because we grow into the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, God could show up suddenly in this moment and violently fall on us and shake us to our core. And I've had moments like that. And I was like, Lord, you're gonna do that today? I'm, I'm up for that. Like, do it every day. But there's also the working alongside with the Holy Spirit to create like this platform or this soft bed of soil for him to lay the seed of the Holy Spirit in that he would grow so that the two things come up together. Our character and, and, and our lives as we live this forever already, we've already stepped into eternity. We're not worried about, we shouldn't be worried about the time. Last week I read that when they said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming in the times when this will be? They said, that's not, that's not for you to worry about. But what here it is, is that you'll receive power. It's about a, it's about a, Position, not about a, not about timing. When his promise is fulfilled and it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem, nearly 2000 years ago, hallelujah. If you read the email I sent out, that was kind of fun. In this way, the power of the age to come described as the kingdom of God and the fire of the Holy Spirit resting on humanity has started the creation of the new people of God. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9, calls us a chosen generation. Genoa, I think is that word. It means a chosen family, a chosen kindred. A royal priesthood. Where did we hear that before? a holy nation, a peculiar people to show forth praises to him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're here for, to show forth the praises of God. And it transforms the world because that new world that is to come breaks through and it breaks bondages off of people. It sets them free, gives them the ability to step in and find this new life. Join the church. It's for the building up of the church. 
So why don't we stand up? Just invite the Holy Spirit to come afresh and anew. say if there's anybody that needs healing in their body. I don't even like talking about this if there's not a demonstration. (laughs) But if there's anybody that's struggling with anything, come on up and let's lay hands on you. Come on up. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that, yes, we're waiting, but we're not waiting. (laughs) We're waiting for the full consummation, Lord. Jesus, when we look you in the face, eye to eye. Lord, until then, we lay hold of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just invite you, fall on us afresh today and tomorrow and the next day. Saturate us with your presence, God. As Matthew said, lead us, Lord. Lead us in the ability to follow Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for the anointing, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us, in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.